Hey everyone, Blaze and Will here from Hey Down In Front Podcast. Join us every Tuesday as we provide the movie commentary that you never asked for. Who's throwing a party? That's going to be terrible. We go over our weekly entertainment-based adventures. God, if you're listening, <laughs> hell! Then we dig in and tear apart the movies everyone loves. Oh, I had my mouth open, you f***ing animal! Check us out on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. I had to rewind myself. I know! Alright, thanks for mansplaining that to me, please. And give us a follow on Instagram at HeyDownInFront underscore podcast and Twitter at HDIF underscore podcast. See you next Tuesday. Oh, okay, Blake. <laughs> hey, everyone, it's Dick. And Max. The hosts of Off the Cuffs, a kink and BDSM podcast. A podcast for those in the lifestyle and those who are curious about it. Each week, we sit down with a different guest to discuss their radioactive spider bite into kink. And it gives everybody a chance to express themselves in matters of sexuality. And a platform in which to express it. It's conversational, it's educational, and it's a lot of fun. More and more people have been reaching out to us telling us what they've learned about themselves just from us sharing our stories with each other every week. So find Off the Cuffs on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at OCPKink. In 1952, husband and wife duo Ed and Lorraine Warren established the New England Society for Psychic Research. The pair would go on to investigate over 10,000 cases of paranormal activity. Their investigations inspired The Conjuring Universe, consisting of The Conjuring film series, which follows the Warrens' cases, and a number of spin-off movies. This is based on a true crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. And welcome to episode 14 of Based on a True Crime. That's right, we're coming at you with another full episode. We don't have to make you uh, wait two weeks this time. Saturday the 14th strikes back. Yeah. So yeah, we're continuing our celebration of Halloween with another spooky episode. This one has more of a paranormal tilt than a true crime tilt but hopefully you'll stick with us anyway (laughs) so this week we are talking about the cases of ed and lorraine warren so we're going to talk a little bit about how they came to be the famous paranormal researchers that they are and we're going to talk about some of their cases that have made it to the big screen but first i want to talk a little bit about this week's promos The first one that you heard was for the Hey Down In Front podcast. And this podcast is really cool. It's a group of friends, uh, Will, Blaze, Bryce, and Mike. And they make really hilarious commentary for movies. And I've been listening to them. I don't think David's gotten a chance yet. I listen to more podcasts. I have a longer commute. But we are for sure queuing these up with some of the movies because they've done some movies that I love. They've done some movies that David loves. They did Land of the Dead. Aha, one of my favorites. Uh, They've done one of my favorites, which David has not seen, Little Giants. Ooh, I haven't seen it. 
that's the one we should queue up. Although, no, you should watch it clean first and then we could watch it again. It's one of my favorite movies. Actually, when David and I met, I was playing for a softball team and my jersey name was Icebox. <laughs> Yes. David did not understand that reference, but I was he thinking decided it was a sand- to date me anyway. <laughs> I thought it was a sandbox reference. That shows you how much I remember about the sandbox. <laughs> you, you mean sandlot? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember the name. Yeah. Ghostbusters, Lake Placid, which we love and watched recently. They did do the sandlot. But not the sandbox, I bet. <laughs> the Goonies, Jurassic Park, Rogue One. They have a ton of killer clowns from outer space, which we watched on the big screen at a midnight showing. That was incredible. And wait for it. Turbo Kid. Oh, excellent. Yes. Uh, actually, I throw around my favorite movies, but Turbo Kid is at the very top of the list. Yes. So definitely check them out. Our second promo was for our buddies at Off the Cuffs. We're hoping to, in the future, have a kind of crossover episode where they can use their knowledge of kink culture to inform some future cases that we're thinking about covering. So great folks. Definitely check them out. If you want to listen to something a little sexier than our podcast. <laughs> So speaking of off the cuffs, we want to thank our new five-star reviewers. So one was actually from someone who heard our promo on the Off the Cuffs podcast. That was really sweet. So that's Jay Nemet. Jay Nemet. So thank you very much. The other one from Mariah TC, where she mentions that our podcast pairs well with Schlafly Pumpkin Ale. So (laughs) I'm incredibly jealous. Last year, Kroger did get Schlafly Pumpkin Ale, and I was able to drink it while living in Cincinnati. And this year, they did not. So our only pumpkin ale has been the six-pack that we were able to get when we were in town a couple weeks ago. And we drank it all within like four days, and I miss it so much. (laughs) It didn't last long. It did not last long. So thank you so much and we also got a really sweet post on facebook from caitlin who said she can't review us because of the app she uses but if she could she would rate us the highest and that she listens to so many podcasts and ours is her favorite which just kind of blows my mind as someone who also listens to a ton of podcasts i don't think i ever imagined that we would be people's favorites but (laughs) it's just awesome so thank you thank you so much thank you to everyone who reaches out it really motivates us to keep doing what we're doing so keep reaching out please (laughs) yeah thanks so much finally david's going to list our correct guesses for this week yeah we had a couple of correct guesses on instagram jsmnwy so good guess there on twitter we have taylor chippy tft and on facebook we had a tie between thomas c and mariah c so yes within a minute of each other and that was probably within minutes of me posting it so it was probably a bit obvious i think that especially because the conjuring series is so famous a lot of people do recognize we posted um we're calling this creepy doll week so for our teaser tuesday we posted pictures of annabelle who's just one of the topics that we're going to cover in today's full episode maxi sode which that sounds a bit like a menstruation product so maybe don't maybe i won't call it a maxi sode uh, today's normal sized episode and our mini sode which is going to be on robert the doll and the movie chucky yep <laughs> are you gonna be my friend to the end david oh yeah always All right. well on that note Let's get into the story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes, let's. Because 20 years ago, in October, I met them. What? Yes. Is that, wait, is that what you would not tell me downstairs earlier? (laughs) Yes. Yes. How did I not know this story? Because I completely forgot. (laughs) 
I knew that I had went to a um, paranormal investigator's presentation while I was in art school. I had a suspicion, like after watching Conjuring 2, that it was the Warrens, but I kind of forgot about it. And then just the past couple of months, I've been thinking, you know no, it couldn't have been them. It was too schlocky, folks. So, like, while while I was finalizing the research for this episode, I confirmed it via the college newspaper that, in fact, was Ed and Lorraine uh, Warren. That's insane! Yes, and they did a presentation at the university, and I chatted with them after their presentation. Do you remember what you said? No, not really. Uh, it was weird because at the time I wasn't, I mean, I, I've never really been big into paranormal stuff other than loving horror movies. And that was why I went to their, their lecture. Yeah. But I was, you know, I was like, wow, these people are pretty cool. I'll say hi. <laughs> yeah. No, they were, they were very friendly and nice and a little odd, but. Oh, that's so cool. cool. Uh, geez, you're blowing my mind two weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> these reveals yep and uh mm-hmm. i'll include a a link to the article in the show notes oh yeah i want to read that <laughs> send me a link to that article i just printed it out actually it's on the printer right now <laughs> oh my god <laughs> stop the episode so i can read it no <laughs> Halt the episode no all right, all right. So, yes. oh my gosh that's awesome yeah. wow thank okay. you thank you for sharing that story yeah and i should preface this by saying you know a lot of the information available on the warrens comes from the warrens um, at least a lot of the information that I read. So for the purposes of this episode, because it is October, I'm not going to be my usual skeptical self. <laughs> and we're just going to kind of treat these stories at face value. So let's do it. Yep. All right. Edward Ed Warren Miney was born September 7th in 1926 in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and grew up in a rough area of town, which he called the, quote, bloody bucket. His proclivity for the supernatural started at a very young age because, as he tells it, the house that he lived in from ages 5 to 12 years old was haunted. His father was a police officer, and he would tell young Ed that there was a logical explanation for the noises and apparitions in the house late at night. Ed tells the story as follows, quote, My family would all go to bed, and just around 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning, many times, I would hear the closet door beginning to open up. At first, I'd look into that closet and see only shapeless darkness, and slowly, I'd start to see a light beginning to form, and it would morph into a ball shape, sort of like a basketball, and then I'd begin to see a face in that ball. That is called a ghost globule. In that globule was a face, the face of an old woman, and she was not looking at all pleasant. The globule would then come out into my bedroom, accompanied by audible footsteps and heavy breathing. The room would then become icy cold, an unnatural cold, a psychic cold. And I'm saying to myself, Ed, there's a logical reason for everything. But by that time, I was out of the bed and right between my mother and father in their bed. So when Ed was 16, he got a job working as an usher at the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport. And it was there that he met 16-year-old Lorraine Rita Morin. Lorraine was born January 31st of 1927, also in Bridgeport. And she and her mother would go to the theater together every Wednesday night. And her and Ed started talking and became friends. And uh, one night he walked her home and he asked her for a date, which is adorable. Yeah, it's really cute. I have a soft spot for stories of couples who uh, start dating their teens and stay together for their lives, really. Um, But on his 17th birthday, Ed joined the Navy. 
and this was around the time that World War II was going on. So four months into his service, his ship sank and he was sent home for 30 days on survivor's leave. And during these 30 days, Ed and Lorraine got married. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So during the war, Ed would become a decorated veteran, seeing action in the Pacific Theater and also being decorated for heroism when he saved a fellow soldier after their ship caught fire. And back home, Lorraine also worked various jobs to help the war effort. So when Ed returned from the war, uh, the two had a daughter named Judy. Ed became a police officer, but his real passion was for art and painting, specifically painting haunted houses. Ed enrolled in Perry Art School, which was a subsidiary of Yale, for about two years. Eventually, Ed got fed up with the curriculum at his school and having to take classes irrelevant to painting, such as geometry. So, Ed decided to leave the school. They bought a car, which was a 1933 Chevy Eagle Deluxe, for $15. And Can you imagine that? I'm going to stop you there. I just had to buy a new car because I totaled my last one, and it was not $15. No. <laughs> no. Def- yeah. And it wasn't actually a new car. It was a used car. Yeah. And this wasn't like a Model T or anything. This yeah. was like, you know, 1933, like a regular car, 15 bucks. And they decided to try their luck selling paintings to passersby in neighborhoods in Massachusetts, Vermont, and New Hampshire. The pair made a decent living selling paintings for three, four, or five bucks. And Ed was also careful to listen for rumors of haunted houses. And he would drag Lorraine along to check them out, even though at the time she was skeptical of the existence of ghosts. When they got to a haunted house, Ed would do a quick sketch of the house with ghosts coming out of it, and Lorraine would take it and knock on the homeowner's door and tell them that her husband drew the house for them because he loves drawing haunted houses. Usually, this would get the pair an invitation to enter the house and chat with the homeowner. Ed's goal in this was to see whether any of them had experiences similar to his own while growing up. One famous house, which he came across during these travels, was the Ocean-Born Mary House in Hineker, New Hampshire. Ed relates the story as follows. I was with Lorraine and another couple that we used to socialize with. We were probably around 19 or 20 years old at the time. We were traveling around New England and trying to sell some of our paintings, which I did sell for tremendous prices, three or four dollars each. You have to remember, though, that back then gas was 12 cents a gallon and hot dogs were a dime. A movie was a quarter, so three or four dollars we made on each painting wasn't so bad after all. Anyway, we were driving through New Hampshire, and I see this sign that says, Hineker. And I look back at my friend Jerry, who was in the back seat, and said that I had heard of a haunted house, the Ocean-Born Mary House, and that was in Hineker. Jerry looked at me and said, oh, come on, Ed, there must be a hundred Hinekers. Just then, we rounded a corner, and there was a sign that said, this is the only Hineker on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess that solved that argument. Anyway, we asked some college kids where the house was, and they gave us directions to it. We pulled up front, and man, I gotta tell you, it sure did look haunted from the outside. I said to Jerry, who was a real skeptic up to this time, Hey Jerry, why don't you go on up to the door and see if they'll let us in? His response was, Are you crazy? There's no way I'm going up there. So I did the logical thing. I threw Lorraine out of the car and locked the doors. Don't you dare ever do that to me, David. (laughs) I knew if anyone could get us in, it would be Lorraine with her Irish charm and all. We watched as she knocked on the door. We saw this light in a window high above. Then the light reached the lower level and finally the door opened. We could barely make it out, but soon we saw Lorraine motioning for us to come on up. To make a long story short, we all got into the house and spoke with Mr. Roy, the caretaker. This was the first time Lorraine had ever had a psychic experience. She astrally projected out of her body and hovered above us. So I kind of love those those anecdotes from Ed. I don't. I have no clue how true they are. As I said, I'm not going to be skeptical. But it kind of feels like they're 
superhero origin story in a way. Yeah. Um, oh. So Lorraine grew her powers from that time and she eventually became what she's known for. So a clairvoyant and a light trance medium. And this means that she can use her sixth sense to hear and feel things that are not perceptible to most people. She can also see and read auras. And this is the part of her talent that actually is said to have started in her childhood. So she said she first experienced it um, looking at the nuns that were teaching her in grade school, but it had been dormant for years before becoming reactivated by this experience in um, the Oceanborn Mary house. So in 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research. So they were young at the time, still like, what, 20, 25? Yeah, wow. Yeah. What have you done? <laughs> no. What have <laughs> yeah. I done? Oh. Yeah, no. <laughs> younger Elon than Musk, us. <laughs> so the initial goal of the society was simply to investigate hauntings. But all of this changed in 1965 when the Warrens were investigating a house haunted by the ghost of a young girl named Cynthia. Using a deep trance medium, they could hear the child say that she was looking for her mother. And this experience inspired the Warrens to branch out from simply investigating these cases to actively trying to help both the families experiencing paranormal activity and also the earthbound spirits. The Warrens never charged for their services. They only asked that their expenses be paid. Although their work through the New England Society for Psychic Research is really based in religion and the Warrens are both strict Catholics, when investigating paranormal activity, they would always bring scientists with them. And Ed said of these investigations, quote, nobody can bring us into a house and fool us. You couldn't tell us that your house is haunted and get away with it because I'm the biggest skeptic going. I have to see it. I have to hear it, and I have to feel it with the physical sense. He also had a, a scientific explanation for the presence of ghosts, and he compares them to the blades of a fan, which can be seen when they're still, but not when they're in motion. So he said that the ghosts exist on a different vibrational plane than us, and as a result, they can only be sensed by mediums and clairvoyants. Yeah, <laughs> nodding at me. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to be skeptical. No, no. Skeptical. That's, that's oh. interesting, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the 1970s, the Warrens branched out from simply investigating hauntings to investigating demons and demonic possession. Ed became a self-taught demonologist. These cases uh, would cover Annabelle, which we're going to go into more detail shortly. The, quote, devil made me do it case, where Arnie Johnson claimed to have murdered his landlord while possessed by a demon. And the Stenecker House, a funeral home supposedly infested with demons that was the inspiration for the movie The Haunting of Connecticut. I actually really liked that movie. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty spooky. Yeah. So the Warrens also successfully made the case in court in 1989 that a woman and child in Hebron, Connecticut were driven out of their house by supernatural forces. Through their 50 years of investigations, they amassed a large collection of occult items and haunted artifacts, including the infamous Raggedy Ann doll, Annabelle, an alleged vampire's coffin, and a child's tombstone, which was used as a satanic altar. The Warrens open a museum in their Monroe, Connecticut home displaying these items. But sadly, according to the website, the occult museum is now closed due to changes in zoning regulations, and they are currently looking for a new location to house the museum. In 2001, Ed Warren suffered a stroke at around 2 a.m. while letting the family cat outside. 
He lived five more years, but never regained the ability to speak. He died on August 23rd of 2006 at home in Monroe. Lorraine is 90 years old, and she is still living in Monroe, although her son-in-law, Tony Spera, has taken the mantle of the family business. I feel like we do need to, at some point, make it to the occult museum, wherever it winds up being. Uh, I didn't look into it a ton because, as you'll see, I <laughs> researched two other cases. Um, yeah, if, it feels that, like it's, it's sure to find a can home. Can you imagine seeing Annabelle in person? Yeah. yeah. And mm. Yeah, creepy dolls are not my thing. I didn't get into it. I'll probably get into it more in the Chucky episode, but I have a childhood trauma stemming from creepy dolls so yeah. so david investigated annabelle and i did the two hauntings from conjuring one and conjuring two so the uh conjuring one was the perrin family and then conjuring two is a much more famous case it's the enfield poltergeist Yes, so take us away with the Perrin family. All right. So in December of 1970, the Perrin family, which consisted of Roger and Carolyn Perrin and their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April, moved into the Arnold Estate, a 10-bedroom farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The previous occupants told the family before they moved in, quote, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. That's like a movie tagline. That's what I'd be uh, like, nev- never mind. Yeah, no, thank you. So almost immediately, paranormal events began to occur in the house. Two spirits, which focused mostly on the children, were quite friendly. There was one who was thought to be the ghost of Mrs. Arnold, and she would tuck the girls into bed at night and kiss their foreheads. I'm sorry. I don't care how friendly a ghost is. If it kisses me on the forehead, I'm calling a priest. Yeah, no, thank you. The other was Johnny Arnold, uh, a boy who supposedly hung himself in the attic in the mid-18th century. And the girls called his spirit Manny, and he liked to play with their toys and watch them while they played outside. And that's where Casper came from. Uh No, no, I'm just kidding. So there was also a sweeping ghost that the family was quite fond of. I'd be fond of a sweeping ghost too. What about the vacuuming ghost and a dusting ghost? Yeah, I would. Yeah, that's the one ghost I'd be okay with is a ghost that can help us sweep up all the cat hair in this house. Or the uh, litter box ghost. (laughs) Oh my God, don't get my hopes up. Um, But yeah, so this spirit, no one ever interacted with it. It was only heard from a distance, and what they heard was the sound of a broom sweeping on the floor. And when the family went to investigate the sound, they would find the broom leaning against the wall next to a neat pile of dirt. So sounds great, right? Nice yeah. ghosts that play with your kids, ghosts that sweep the floor. Um, no, all was not right in the house. Uh-oh. There were also a number of spirits that were not so benevolent. Ooh, okay. So at 5:15 on most mornings. The rooms that the family were sleeping in would start smelling like rotting flesh and a force would toss family members from their beds. Spirits would also pull on the girl's hair and limbs during the night. And Andrea also, after she grew up, spoke of one particularly evil spirit. And all she would say was, quote, let's just say that there was a very bad male spirit in the home with five little girls, which holy crap yeah yikes yeah but the most infamous malevolent spirit in the house was that of Bathsheba Sherman so this is the spirit that the movie really focuses on too and Bathsheba according to historical records lived on the Arnold estate from the mid 1800s after she married her husband and she lived there with her husband Judson Sherman and their son wait for it Herman Sherman. (laughs) Herman Sherman. Come on. 
I know. Oh, his parents. Like, even him. back then. I mean, it rhymes. That's something that is true, as true in the 1800s as it is now. You should not name your child two names that rhyme. Julia Gulia. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't think there's a worse name than her. I, I would prefer Sherman Sherman to Herman Sherman. <laughs> 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 yeah. So they are thought to have had three more children who died at a young age. Yeah, they died from terrible names, probably. <laughs> oh, no. Is that fatal? Yes. So Bathsheba Sherman's reputation was forever marred when an infant who was in her care died. And the cause of death was said to be an incision in the back of the head. So Bathsheba was accused not only of murder, but of witchcraft. These rumors most likely stemmed from jealousy uh, because Bathsheba was very beautiful and her husband was wealthy. I mean, it's a, hu- a 10 bedroom estate for the three of them. He, he was definitely raking in the, uh, the bucks. Yeah, wow. So uh, in any case, the local community decided that Bathsheba was a sadist who enjoyed torturing her staff and that she had made a deal with Satan to grant her beauty. Whether due to the unfairness of her treatment in life or maybe just her being a sadistic witch, uh, her spirit was now supposedly tormenting the parents. So she would steal the children's toys or hide them. And she also seemed to especially hate Carolyn and was infatuated with Roger, Carolyn's husband. So Roger's encounters with Bathsheba consisted of just caresses and sexual advances, which I'm definitely imagining that scene in Ghostbusters there. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) While Carolyn was being physically and emotionally tormented. And also she said that she felt like her energy was being drained, like Bathsheba was trying to kind of consume her and possess her body. So the family was desperate for help and they reached out to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Upon arriving at the house, Lorraine immediately sensed a dark spirit. She also noticed a small circular incision at the back of Carolyn's leg. And she said that this was due to Bathsheba because she said that this mark matched the one that was found on the infant's skull who died in Bathsheba's care. So I don't know what she was using to do her research. I didn't see anything about that in real life but um anyway so Lorene concluded that Bathsheba had killed the infant and that Bathsheba was indeed therefore a witch so the Warrens attempted to perform a seance with Carolyn in the cellar of the house but it did not work and they said that they could not perform an exorcism because the Perrin family was not religious So years later, when talking about the case, Andrea said that the Warrens not only did not help the haunting, they actually made it worse. Oops. Yeah. And Lorraine would go on to say about the hauntings, quote, the things that went on there were just so incredibly frightening. It still affects me to talk about it today. But the parents did continue to live in the house. From what I found online, it looks like they lived there from 1970 until 1981. So more than a decade. Ah, that's a long time. Yeah. A long time to be living with freaky ghosts. So in 1987, the house was purchased by its current owners. It's a couple, uh, Norma Sutcliffe and Jerry Helfrich. So in 2005, she let the Ghost Hunters TV series, the one on sci-fi, she let them come and investigate the house. And they found some cold spots and they also recorded a door opening on its own. 
Norma was pretty surprised by their findings because the couple had never experienced any paranormal events while living in the house. So, you know, at least back in 2005, they were kind of okay with the history of the house. But all of that changed with the release of the first Conjuring movie. So Uh-oh. after the release of that movie, the couple have been plagued by curiosity seekers and horror movie fans trespassing on their property and harassing and stalking the couple at all hours of the day. She said that she once called the police at 3.30 in the morning because there was a gang of people outside of the house, which is insane. They installed a fence and these people just tore down the fence. Hey, fans are passionate. <laughs> yeah, after the uh, Szechuan sauce incident. Yes. yes. So the couple sued Warner Brothers in October of 2015, and I could not find what happened with this lawsuit. Oh, there was a ton probably... of articles that came out that said that they were suing them right when it happened, which was like the end of October of 2015. And then I could not find anything else because whenever you Google like Warner Brothers lawsuit, now what shows up is that like billion dollar lawsuit that they're getting from the person that wrote The Demonologist, which is the book about the Warrens. Yeah, I bet they paid the family off Yeah, a nice lump sum of cash. Well, hopefully yeah, people have kind of chilled out because that's really insane behavior. I know it was kind of similar with Amityville. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these are actual private residences. I'm sure the- they have enough to deal with with all their ghosts. <laughs> they don't need humans trespassing, you know. I'd climb yeah. over some walls to see the Never Elm Street house. <laughs> Well, that's different. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> weird. All right. So <laughs> wow. that's the first story. All right. No, that's a good one. Let me take a beer break. All right. Yes. We don't have Schlafly pumpkin ale because Kroger's really dropped the ball this year. But we do have yummy, yummy sweet potato ale from Platform Beer Company. That is quite good. I like it. Oh, it's from Cleveland. Yep. Yeah. Ohio. Lo- local-ish. It's in the same state. It's like five hours away still but yeah so yeah if you live in ohio and you can't experience the joy of schlafly pumpkin ale get some yummy yummy this podcast is brought to you by yummy yummy no it's not (laughs) ship us some containers of it yeah so the second case i'm going to talk about is that featured in the conjuring 2 so this is the enfield haunting and this is also very much inspired what's the that halloween the one that we watched last year where it was like a news broadcast ghost watch ghost oh my gosh yeah if you haven't seen ghost watch that's probably one of the scarier oh that would have been a good one for my halloween list yeah <laughs> no now. we should have pinned it yeah it's definitely. great that's okay we'll eke out really great um yeah. october horror movies from episode to episode so you have to listen to all of ours uh, <laughs> yeah. in october yeah uh write down ghost watch I had never heard of it. It's got a really interesting story. We should talk about it more later, but... Yeah, it's streaming exclusively on Shudder, so sign up for Shudder $4.99. They're not sponsors yet, <laughs> but... Um... Brought to you by Yummy Yummy and Shudder. <laughs> yeah. All right, so tell us about the Enfield haunting, though. Chelsea. So the Enfield haunting, which is also known as the Enfield poltergeist, was a paranormal event taking place at 284 Green Street. This is a three-bedroom, semi-detached house built in London in the 1920s. Well, in the Enfield neighborhood of London or borough or whatever they're called over there. So the house was occupied by Peggy Hodgson, a 47-year-old divorcee, and her four children, uh, Margaret, who was the oldest, she was 13, Janet, who was 12, 
John, who was 11, and Billy, who was 7. But most of the paranormal activity would be centered around the two oldest daughters, Margaret and Janet. So this started on August 31st of 1977 at around 9.30 p.m. And Janet and John heard shuffling in their bedroom and they called for their mother. So Peggy entered the room and all three of them heard knocking sounds and saw a chest of drawers move 18 inches across the room completely untouched. Ah, wow. Yeah. 18 inches is far. Yeah, no, that is. So they immediately fetched their next door neighbors, the Nottinghams. Vic Nottingham and his son Gary entered the home. They also heard these phantom knocks and Vic said that the knocks seemed to follow him around the house. Peggy called the police and WPC Heaps and PC Himes arrived at the house at around 1 a.m. They also heard the knocking, and Heaps witnessed a chair move three or four feet across the living room floor on its own. That's spectacular. So word of these paranormal events spread through the press, and in early September, the Hodgsons were put in touch with Maurice Gross, a paranormal investigator, through the Society for Psychical Research. Gross was a successful inventor, but he became interested in paranormal phenomena after the death of his daughter, Janet, in a motorcycle accident in August of 1976. Gross visited the house the first time on September 5th, and he was quickly convinced that the Hodgson's claims were real. During this visit and subsequent visits, Gross observed marbles that flew through the air and then landed on the floor without rolling, drawers and doors that opened on their own, The door chime would swing on its own and objects, including teaspoons, cardboard boxes, and the fish tank lid would jump around on their own. Yeah, those are all odd occurrences for sure. And all of these activities were not only witnessed by Gross and the Hodgson's, but also by reporters and photographers for the Daily Mirror and a number of rotating house visitors. It's believed that these paranormal events were witnessed by as many as 10 people not related to the family just within weeks of the activity starting. Gross would also wind up with over 180 hours of tape recordings from his investigations. There was one unsettling event that was witnessed by a woman named Hazel Short. She was a council employee and she was crossing the street towards number 284 to pick up a sign. And she reported, quote, I was standing there looking at the house when all of a sudden a couple of books came flying across and hit the window. It was so sudden. I heard the noise because it was so quiet, there was no traffic, and it made me jump. Then, after a little while, I saw Janet. I don't know if there's a bed underneath that window, but she was going up and down bodily, as though someone was just tossing her up and down bodily, in a horizontal position, like if someone had got her legs and back and was throwing her up and down. I definitely saw her come up about window height, but I thought if she was bouncing, she'd bounce from her feet. She wouldn't be able to get enough power to bounce off her back to come up that high. My friend could see her as well. We both could see her. That's pretty creepy. That's really creepy. Yeah. I'll get into it later, but in one of the very infamous pictures, you've probably seen it, of Janet supposedly being lifted in the air, and she's very obviously jumping off the bed. Yeah, I have seen that. But if she were horizontal in that image flying around the room, that would be different. Yeah, And that's apparently what this woman witnessed. So in December of 1977, three months after the disturbances began, Janet began to speak in a demonic-sounding voice. 
At first, she would just make strange noises like whistles and barks, but eventually this would develop into a voice that sounded like that of an elderly male. And the voice identified itself as Joe Wilkins and claimed that he lived in the house. When interrogated, the voice said, quote, I went blind and I had a hemorrhage and I fell asleep and I died on a chair in the corner downstairs. The previous occupant of the house was indeed a Mr. Wilkins who had died in the house. And it's thought that Janet could not have known this or found this out on her own. Also spooky. Very spooky. And this is really creepy in the movie. The, the guy in the corner is what got me. I know there were like jump scares that are maybe a little cheap, but it was scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unlike what is portrayed in The Conjuring 2, the Warrens actually had a very small role in the investigation. They visited the house once in the summer of 1978. So Ed later said of the case, quote, those who deal with the supernatural day in and day out know the phenomena are there. There's no doubt about it. Therefore, when people tell me they don't believe in ghosts and spirit forces, what they're really saying to me is they're not familiar with the data on the subject. Yet the data is there, should one care to look. In fact, much of it has been collected under such rigid conditions as to make a lot of other scientific research pale in comparison. For example, take a case Lorraine and I began investigating this past summer in Enfield, England, where inhuman spirit phenomena were in progress. Now, you couldn't record the dangerous, threatening atmosphere inside that little house, but you could film the levitations, teleportations, and dematerializations of people and objects that were happening there. Not to mention the many hundreds of hours of tape recordings made of these spirit voices speaking out loud in the rooms. Ooh. Yeah. Teleportations and dematerializations. I'd like to see some of that footage. Yes. I I couldn't find much. This was the first and really the only place where I read about dematerializations. They said one of the girls dematerialized was gone for 17 minutes and then appeared like all contorted in one of the cabinets. That's it's like, I feel like if they had that on film, I would believe in ghosts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, show me that on film. A film of her disappearing and then 17 minutes of nothing and then her appearing in the cabinet. Sadly, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Sadly, she had a cat on her lap and came back half cat, half woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd watch that movie. Yep. So on June 16th of 1978, the Warrens visited the house with a colleague. They interviewed Peggy, Janet, and Margaret, along with Peggy's brother, John Burkholm, in the presence of Gross. Lorraine uh, entered a trance state while in the house, and she received impressions that Gross said seemed to be closely related to Mrs. Hodgson's ex-husband. Mr. Warren and their colleague were then left alone in the house, where they carried out a ritual which they later said had no effect. And then a little before midnight, the Warrens and their colleague left. So the Warrens said that while they were in the house, they did experience those spirit phenomena. They made 13 hours of audio recordings featuring the entities in the house. And they photographed levitations of objects, witnessed the appearance of excrement, the spontaneous removal of wallpaper in the kitchen, and the materialization of rocks and the dematerialization of a bottle of holy water. And supposedly, one of the spirits that Ed Warren recorded said, quote, this house is haunted, kill the ghosties. I really (laughs) wanted to make a t-shirt now with that on it. I would wear that t-shirt. Do it. All right. So whatever spirit haunted the house, if any, they were not exercised by the Warrens or by Gross. 
and the activity simply died down on its own. So by 1979, the poltergeist seemed to have inexplicably left the Hodgson home. And I did read one of the articles said that they think that the spirit activity was kind of triggered by the divorce that Peggy Hodgson was going through. And once kind of that stressor was gone, then the poltergeist left. So maybe that could explain why Lorraine Warren had those impressions that seemed to resemble the ex-husband. Yeah. But um, there is a lot of evidence. So see, I am getting a bit skeptical, but there is a lot of evidence that at least some of the paranormal activity in the house was faked by the two oldest girls. So as an adult, Janet admitted in an interview with the Daily Mail that she and her sister had faked about 2% of the phenomena. And as I mentioned earlier, the famous photo of Janet levitating really shows her jumping off the bed. And there were pictures that were taken by a remote controlled camera that took a picture every 15 seconds. So often you see the one photograph of her where she's, you know, seems to be floating. But really, if you look at them in sequence, she's very obviously jumping. Um, Also, the poltergeist voice that she's producing, they said at first, oh, a young girl wouldn't be able to produce this voice. But really, she physically could using, they said, the false vocal cords above the larynx. Also, what she was saying seemed to have the phraseology and vocabulary of, you know, a child her age. So who knows? I don't know. When I started talking about that, we started hearing spooky sounds outside. So maybe it's the Enfield poltergeist. Could be. It's come to find us. Interesting cases, both of those. Yeah, those are the two hauntings featured in The Conjuring 1 and 2. But there was someone who made a special guest appearance in the first Conjuring movie and started her own spin-off series. So, David, why don't you tell us about Annabelle? <laughs> My favorite haunted doll. Yay! Yes, Annabelle. So, the actual doll itself wasn't named Annabelle originally because it was a Raggedy Ann doll. And so when the you... doll was named Anne? <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> there's a, you know, there's a connection there. Yeah. But the uh, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy dolls are typically not extremely creepy. They just have kind of a folksy looking design. No, I definitely had those when I was growing up too. Yeah, I had a pair as well, I think. So Annabelle is actually the name of the mischievous spirit that haunts the doll. And Annabelle the doll, the Raggedy Ann doll, was originally purchased at a hobby shop by a woman as a gift for her daughter in 1970. So the daughter named Donna was roommates with a nursing student named Angie. And while living in the apartment they shared, Annabelle started exhibiting strange behaviors, such as appearing in different positions when the roommates came home. Sometimes a leg would be crossed or the doll would be lying on its side. So at first, the girls thought that maybe there was an intruder that was moving the doll around and they found mysterious messages around the apartment that would read, help us and help Lou. So they started to suspect that it was anything but a doll, right? I mean, the fact that it was a doll would be ridiculous. I think I would suspect the doll right away. I'm very suspicious of all dolls. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, well, they ruled out an intruder. And after they ruled out it being an intruder, they contacted a medium, and uh, the medium performed a seance. And during the seance, the girls were introduced to the spirit of an Annabelle Higgins, who was supposedly a young girl that had lived on the property before the apartments were built, and she died there at age seven. 
Donna and Angie believed that they could live with the doll because the spirit told the medium that she felt comfortable and she felt a sense of comfort with the two roommates in the apartment and she wanted to stay with them and be loved. No. No? Wouldn't be convinced? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Any If any toy possessed by a spirit says it just wants to be loved, it definitely wants to murder you <laughs> and everyone you love. Yeah. Don't trust that doll. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Good, good note. Uh, remember that, everybody. Do not trust the doll that says it just wants to be loved. Yeah. All right. Well, eventually, their feelings toward Annabelle changed. Uh, <laughs> no shocker there. <laughs> yeah, big surprise. Well, especially after coming home to find her in different rooms than the ones they'd left her in. There are also reports that Donna found small blood spots on the doll's chest and the back of her hand with no explanation whatsoever. Probably because she was murdering people while you were at work. Yeah. 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 Well, there are a few other incidents, Chelsea. Apparently, Annabelle did not get along with Angie's fiance, Lou. Supposedly, one night while Lou was sleeping, he woke up to find that he was paralyzed in bed and Annabelle was at his feet. Oh my God, I have goosebumps. Yeah. Well, that is, can you imagine that in your head with a Raggedy Ann doll? <laughs> yeah. Oh that, my it's God. extra creepy because, oh. yeah. Well, it gets better, Chelsea, because. Uh, she crawled up to his chest and began choking him until he passed out. Oh, no. Yep. Burn burn it. (laughs) Yeah, burn it. Well, he says he was sure that it wasn't a dream. So that probably swore him off dolls forever. I've been sworn off dolls forever, but I've been like that for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lucky Lou, um, another time he went to turn on a light in a dark room and he felt a presence behind him. When he turned around, he felt a sharp pain. And when he was able to turn on the light, he noticed he had several scratches on his stomach that were bleeding. And Annabelle was found sitting in the middle of the floor. Oh my God, what did she scratch him with? The, their hands are just little soft round pillows. I don't know. That's what's so oh. terrifying about it. Yeah. So the Warrens, as as you would imagine, were called in to investigate, and they diagnosed the doll as an inhuman demonic spirit. They decided that really the thing to do was to keep her or it, whatever, in the in the museum for safekeeping. So Ed drove Annabelle to the museum, but he says that on the way there, the doll caused his car brakes and steering to fail repeatedly. He says he had to throw holy water onto his backseat passenger seat to stop her from creating further damage. At the Warren's Museum, Annabelle is secured inside of a glass box that is sealed with ritualistic prayers. And Lorraine Warren has said that, quote, we have a priest come in and bless the museum, including Annabelle. These are prayers that bind the evil, much like an electric fence for a dog. So years ago, a visitor to the Warrens Museum repeatedly banged on Annabelle's case and mocked her until Ed Warren kicked him out. The man and his girlfriend were riding off on his motorcycle, and they were laughing and joking about the doll when he lost control of the bike and they crashed head onto a tree, according to Lorraine. And that is the biggest major story involved with Annabelle. And that, uh, is that real? Do they have names? Is there an obituary? Uh, this is according to Lorraine. Yeah. So there is no references to these visitors or yeah. people. So it's interesting tie-in to Robert the doll, which we'll get into next week. Yeah. Don't um, mess with the creepy possessed dolls, people. Yeah. Uh, the, um... The Raggedy Ann doll that scratches you and makes you bleed, even though she's just made of whatever cloth and stuffing. Nope. 
Yep. Just a couple of sources um, if you want to check those out. Blumhouse.com has an article called The Real Story of the Annabelle Doll. Also, USA Today has a fairly recent article called Annabelle Creation, The True Story of the Evil Doll Star. And then the New Hampshire Register has one called Real Annabelle Story Shared by Lorraine Warren at Milford's Laurelton Hall. So check those articles out for yes. Yeah, I definitely use Bloomhouse for a lot of my research. <laughs> they just, they, for every one of these horror movies that are based on true stories, they always have a, a pretty good write-up, so. Yeah. So that's Annabelle, which, uh, ha- have fun with that, everyone, if you've got dolls sitting around in your house. Oh, my God, no. Yeah. Nope. The yeah. only one we have is a stuffed Freddy Krueger. I feel like he could do some damage with his little cloth uh, glove. Yeah, sometimes I'm like asleep at night and I'm like, oh, Chelsea, you're kissing me. It's so sweet. And I wake up and it's the Freddy doll sitting next to me. Kissing you? That's kind of cute. Though. Yeah. It's more <laughs> of like a Mrs. Arnold type spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I look over and he's like shaking the dust out of my keyboard. And oh. <laughs> All right. So that's Annabelle. But we're going to shift gears and talk about the Conjuring film universe. So sit tight and we'll be right back. Right, it's 918. We're headed down into the cellar where the door's just opened on its own. Give us a sign that you want to communicate with us. Nothing. <laughs> what are you guys? Well, we've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. There's someone here that would like to talk to you. There's something horrible happening in my house. It's November 1st, 1971. I'm sitting here with Carolyn Perrin, who, with her family, has been experiencing supernatural occurrences. You picking up anything in here, hon? Something awful happened here, Ed. What is it? Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. That's not going to help. This thing has latched itself to your family. Father, we've never seen nothing like this. I'm coming with you. No way. I can't lose you. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. She's standing in front of my mom's bed. Yeah. 
And we're back. So we're just going to dive into a discussion of the Conjuring cinematic universe. Just starting off with The Conjuring. That's about Ed and Lorraine Warren, who work to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse. And this was directed by James Wan, who is known for creating the Saw series. He directed the first one. He also created the Insidious universe, directed both Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2. And also, Chelsea, he did Dead Silence, which is a evil ventriloquist dummy movie. Nope. That that is where I draw the line due to both a childhood reading goosebumps, but really mostly due to that episode of Buffy that I was traumatized by. Would you have married me if I was like, all right, I just have to show you I have this trunk here and I open up the trunk and it was a ventriloquist dummy. I mean, at what point in the relationship would you reveal that you own a ventriloquist dummy and would you be willing to burn it on a pyre for me on our wedding night? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, if you waited that long, it'd really be too late. Yeah, you're like, and oh, then too the late. ventriloquist dummy just murders us on our wedding night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I'll cut you, and I'm like, shut uh, up, dummy. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. So that's starring uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga as the Warrens and Ron Livingston and a bunch of other folks. But we have a lot to cover here. So Annabelle, when a couple begins to experience terrifying supernatural occurrences involving a vintage doll, shortly after their home is invaded by satanic cultists. Ooh. This was directed by John R. Leonetti, and he was the director of photography on several of James Wan's movies, including the previously mentioned ventriloquist dummy horror movie Dead Silence, also The Conjuring, and that stars Ward Horton, Annabelle Wallace, and Alfre Woodard. Then following that up, we have, due to the success of The Conjuring and Annabelle, The Conjuring 2, which, as Chelsea just mentioned, the real-life case that the Warrens traveled to North London to help a single mother raising four children alone in a house plagued by a supernatural spirit. That was also directed by James Wan and also stars Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. And then there is the recent Annabelle creation. This takes place... 12 years after the tragic death of their little girl, a doll maker and his wife welcome a nun and several girls from a shattered orphanage into their home, where they soon become the target of the doll maker's possessed creation, Annabelle. You and I have not seen Annabelle creation yet. But... No, but it's supposed to be really good, and I'm kind of torn. I mean, we saw Annabelle, despite my hatred of haunted doll movies. Yes. And it wasn't really scary because it was just really shitty. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, and I've heard uh, that this is uh, an improvement in every way. Which means that. it's going to be scary, which means that now I don't want to see it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that was directed by David F. Sandberg, who directed the movie that I think I like clicked on yesterday, and you were like, nope, which was Lights Out. Yes. I mean, I've heard the movie is very bad, which means that probably I could watch it without any issues, but the short film that it's based on... I remember when I feel like half of my Facebook friends were just sharing it on Facebook and then the video autoplays when, you know, you're just casually scrolling through your feed looking for, you know, cat pictures or friends vacation photos. And then suddenly it's that effing video and it's terrifying from the get go where it's like flick off the lights and there's a shadow that's there of like a creature and you turn on the light and it's not there's not something where the shadow is and I hated it for like a good couple weeks I could not scroll Facebook without that coming up so yeah I'm not watching lights out 
Yeah, it was everywhere. I feel like um, that may be a movie that gets to me and maybe spooks me a little. The short film? No, the movie. I feel like even the movie would probably be a little bit like, ooh, that's scary. I heard it's it's so bad that it's almost comical, so. Okay, all right. But uh, I still don't really want to see it. Director David Sandberg, a uh, friend of the show, listens <laughs> uh, to our podcast. So. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> all right, but not stopping there. There are several films in production that take place in the Conjuring universe. There is The Conjuring 3 planned. And uh, the only thing I could find on that so far is that the Lorraines return to investigate a case in the 80s. I hope everyone's wearing blue eyeshadow and leg warmers. Yeah, that'd be rad. <laughs> There's uh, The Nun. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, the Nun has wrapped filming, and that, the synopsis is, a priest named Father Burke is sent to Rome to investigate the mysterious death of a nun. I will definitely watch that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if it's in any way as scary as The Conjuring 2 Nun. then I mean, it is The Conjuring 2 Nun. I I, yeah, but it's, it's as scary. Like or- I mean, yeah. as scary as... Her, her appearances, appearances. yeah uh, also the crooked man this is a spin-off as well and it focuses on a character from an english nursery rhyme called there was a crooked man but he also appears in the conjuring the conjuring 2 he might actually i think that i thought he was scarier than the nun in the conjuring 2 that was like very disturbing he's a bit like baba dookie Oh, he, dookie oops i said dookie on our podcast uh, um but it's like i feel like the style of him was similar and he was a practical effect it was not cgi as that's person. crazy yeah oh when the, the little doggy turns into him that was oh one my of my favorite jump scares of all because i was like all right there's a dog don't let the dog die don't anything happen to the dog and then the dog turns into and the, it's like, kill the dog kill the dog <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> no. all right so we have a, I guess we'll be talking about the Conjuring and the Warrens and a lot of their cases for a long time. They were involved with in so many cases that there's endless uh, possibilities. Yeah, I I came across many in my research that I felt like could at some point in the future be a movie in this series. They have so many like really notable cases too. I would actually love to see a movie about that Devil Made Me Do It case because that is kind of feeding into my my love of true crime. So yeah. the idea of, you know, a trial where the person is claiming that they were possessed by a demon when they killed this person, but, you know, were they, which we are kind of getting into the territory of the exorcism of Emily Rose where, you know, I didn't read much about it, but obviously due to the fact that I don't believe in demons, I would say he killed his landlord. <laughs> But I, th- I think it could be such an interesting case if it's done right. Um, but that one definitely stood out to me. Yeah. Typically, we will go through a film kind of in depth. But rather than do that, since there are so many films already in the Conjuring universe, and, you know, I just wanted to say that I think James Wan is our modern day equivalent to uh, a Wes Craven or maybe not, you know, history will, I guess, dictate his place in horror. But I think he's already cemented himself by creating the Saw franchise, by creating the Insidious franchise, by creating the Conjuring franchise. I know the adding franchise kind of makes it feel a little cheap, but, you know, his um, films have been pretty great additions to the horror genre. I do feel like he's really reinvigorated the genre for, I mean, mean, we still see it today. I don't want to say that it's stopped, but that trend of just remaking these old movies, I think he's proved that you can take a new idea and make money with it which is you know what it's not what we care about we just want a good movie but it's what the higher up people care about so 
you know, by making good movies that are also new ideas that can also make money, I feel like what he's doing is really, really important. And this is coming from someone who I did finally watch. We watched Saw and we watched Saw 2. And I'm absolutely not a fan of the torture porn with my little finger quote, my little finger air quote. Yeah. The torture porn genre that, you know, Saw almost started. <laughs> Uh, but it's weird that, you know, the same person that gave us Saw, though, gave us you know, Insidious and Conjuring, which I think are two series that are, for the most part, great. <laughs> and, you know, those are the kind of horror films that I like. I love ghost stories. Ghost stories are really my jam. And thank you. Thank you, James Wan. Thank yes, you. thank you. Friend yes. of the show, listener. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yes. For sure. I think he's listening right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, wait, r- as we're recording? Yeah, as we're recording. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I thought maybe we could just talk about maybe your... Do you have a favorite in the Conjuring series or all these movies that are connected? I really liked The Conjuring too. I think I did like it more than the first Conjuring, but I, I like both of them. I obviously did not like the first Annabelle movie, as I've said. I, I think that was a bad movie, <laughs> just completely separate from the series. I don't really care about how it fits in the series. It's, I mean, I'm curious about the spinoffs. We'll probably end up seeing them. I would even, you know, I'm curious about Annabelle creation. I think that's one that I would rather watch at home, which is probably how we're going to have to watch it because... It's been in theaters for a while and we haven't caught it. But yeah, I really enjoyed The Conjuring 2. I will say when you look at the real story of the Warrens compared to these movies, their role is really uh, not true to real life. It looks like for, for both of these cases, in the case that inspired the first Conjuring movie and the second one, they had a minimal role in the Enfield haunting and they made the Perrin haunting worse. So... Not exactly the heroes that they are portrayed in the movie, but I mean, I, I like it and I feel like it is kind of cool that it is, you know, bring attention to these two people that dedicated their lives to you know, hunting the paranormal. And I, you know, even though I am a skeptic, I mean, I, I would love for ghosts to be real because I think it's awesome, but even though I am a skeptic, I absolutely believe from what I've read that the Warrens believe in what they're doing. And, you know, that's that's fine. <laughs> you know, these families believe it. They're not asking for boatloads of money. So, yeah, I mean, it is like twelve fifty to go into the occult museums. So. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I... But other than that, no, I did like the movies. I thought they were scary. They do rely a little bit more on jump scares than building the mood, but... Sometimes if you want to be scared and gets the job done, it's like when you're hungry and you eat fast food. (laughs) What did you think, David? I like the Conjuring 2 the best out of the ones that we've seen, the what we've seen three out of the four so far. One of the things that the Conjuring establishes is the Warren's relationship. Yes, they're adorable. They are, but they're- They have such good chemistry. They do, and it's especially complex in the Conjuring 2 because we get a lot more time with them and we get to learn more time about their Caring for each other, whereas the first one is a little bit more of a procedural 
um, in terms of the case. Yeah, I absolutely agree. They really set the tone in the first one where they have Lorraine Warren kind of witness the the demon killing him. And I feel like that is kind of coloring the rest of the movie because it's so traumatizing. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, the, in The Conjuring 2, you get the scene with Ed, a.k.a. Patrick Wilson, like playing the guitar and singing the Elvis song. And it's Aww. it's just like, you know, little moments like that that gave it a lot of depth and, and meaning for their relationship and just for the, the story itself. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they um they translate that into The Conjuring 3. So we kind of talked about Annabelle being the weakest link. I was thinking like for those listeners who have not jumped into any of these films, I would recommend you could skip Annabelle and watch just a Conjuring 2 kind of, you could watch them back to back. I think that would be a great double feature. Yes. I would say skip Annabelle. I mean, we're, this should not be news to anyone. It was, it did not get good reviews. I mean, you could probably but, skip that. But the s- Annabelle creation is basically a prequel. It's about the person who made the Annabelle doll. So I think that you can watch that one and the other two. One of my least favorite things about Annabelle. I don't know if this was a licensing issue, but I'm sure most of you have seen images of the Annabelle doll. And it is terrifying looking as just a doll. I don't understand why anyone would buy that and put that in their house or give that to their child. I feel like if they had used the Raggedy Ann doll and stayed a little bit more true to the story, it would have been scarier. I don't know if there was some issue with, I'm sure the company does not want to be associated with that story, even if it is, you know, true, true to the actual story. I feel like at least Chucky, which we'll talk about this more later on, but when you see the Chucky doll as a doll it looks like a cute little kid doll that you would buy your kid you know it it gets its creepy expressions and i know later on it gets its like weird frankenstein scars but it is believable as a doll that you would buy for your child yeah whereas the annabelle doll even in the movie it was like a adult doll collector that bought it versus a child because it is terrifying (laughs) yeah annabelle is terrifying and um i do have a little behind behind the scenes nugget about that very thing oh Um, awesome yeah so James Wan and producer Peter Safran were developing The Conjuring and the Raggedy Ann look um, just really wasn't going to work out. And Peter Safran says, quote, for starters, you'd be hard pressed to find a manufacturer to allow their doll to serve as a conduit to evil in a movie. And so they tried to find the balance of innocence and creepiness with the emphasis being on the creepy factor. You talked about how kind of like grotesque she is in the first Annabelle. They worked on her a little bit for the second one. Um, They gave her more filled out cheeks and they fixed the overbite to help soften the features and make her look a little bit more like a child's plaything. All right. I don't think I've seen any images from the second one. So I'll have to do a little side by side because yeah, in the the first Conjuring movie and in Annabelle, that's that thing should go straight into the fire. Okay, cool. So I have a tidbit. Yes. So Balak, the demon in The Conjuring 2, is a real biblical demon. Apparently the great president of hell. What? Yes. Wow. But the demon had absolutely no role in any of the Warrens' true cases. The demon was added basically to bridge their investigation of Amityville. You remember in the beginning of The Conjuring 2, they are in the Amityville house as she is in her trance during the seance, she sees, you know, the character of Butch DeFeo. So, so yeah, in the beginning of The Conjuring 2, Lorraine is in a trance and what she's seeing is a man going room to room 
killing his family. And that man is obviously Butch DeFeo. And from that scene, she... So that's the first time that she sees the demon, uh, Valak, who is the force in the Enfield house. And they did that to tie the two cases together. But actually, they have... They don't have the rights to Amityville. So they could not be more explicit with that because those rights are owned by a different like production company or something yeah so, okay so, yeah, so Valak is real but mm. has nothing to do with the warrens and i'm assuming does not normally look like a nun cool good tidbit awesome all right so let's wrap up uh i guess these cases and these films just wanted to say uh those are some scary stories <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and i think it always adds a little something to a horror movie to like a a haunting tale when it is real you know you'll see the the passion of the fans of the conjuring that went and harassed that family until they sued warner brothers it's a different feeling when you're watching these movies and you know oh there was a real family who had at least similar paranormal experiences in their own home and this house exists you know you could go to you know the house from the conjuring but don't don't go to the house from the conjuring. That well, you could family. go and just kind of creepily stare at it from across the street. Yeah, watch it from the other side of the fence. Don't tear down the fence. Yep. But it's the same thing with you know, the house in Amityville, which I would love to go to. We have family in the area. No reason not to, except someone actually lives there and all. But still, it's it's definitely a different sort of feeling. And I think that you know James Wan really touched on something special. I don't know if he, I like. I don't know if he even knew how much this series would take off. But it's just, it's cool. And, you know, something, I mean, you talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre using based on a true story as its tagline when it has like the tiniest seeds of the true story. It's, it's good marketing. And even though the Warrens didn't play a big role in it, it's still kind of cool seeing the haunting on the screen and then being able to read about it and say, oh, so this is something that the family really experienced. So excellent. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm super excited for the upcoming films in the Conjuring universe. For yeah. sure. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion of the Conjuring universe. And before we leave you all on this spooky October evening, Chelsea, what do you have for now playing? My now playing is the new Blade Runner movie. We have not done this discussion since we saw it. I think last time it was your your coming sooner. We mentioned it at some point. Yeah. Anyway, we saw it and it was just, it was incredible. <laughs> I, I felt like, uh, I see, I don't even know how to describe it now. And I did not know how to describe it after watching it. It was just like the credits were rolling and both of us were just sitting in our chairs, like dumbfounded. It is an experience that I recommend to anyone, you know, especially people who really love that first movie. I think that it really built on it in a respectful way. It didn't erase anything. It was really based on that movie. It was really true to it. And everyone was incredible. Ryan Gosling was great. Very attractive. Not like in Murder by Numbers. This is a ripe Ryan Gosling. Ooh. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, I think, yeah, we sat in the theater dumbfounded. We went to our car and we sat dumbfounded and eventually we made it home. But man, it's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your now playing? Um, my... <laughs> <laughs> um it's the same thing uh, oh, okay yeah after you said that, that i was like easy. maybe i should pick a horror movie but no i, should I mean, pick we, we've like watched a... a couple we've been filling our queue with our halloween movies as we discussed we watched the house is october built we watched hocus pocus yep 
We did. We uh, watched Halloween Town. Yeah, uh, House of Octoberville was, I guess, better than I was sort of expecting. It's like a found footage throughout the entire movie, so you just need to be prepared for that. It's streaming yeah. on Netflix, though. I was not prepared for that. I thought it was just... All I knew about it was that it was about haunted houses, which I, or haunted attractions, which I really like going to. And yeah, this is the shaky cam footage. Once it really got into it, I was able to kind of ignore it, but the lead up was a bit hard for me i kept kind of coming in and out of it but once it gets spooky it gets real spooky yeah it does um so <laughs> you can jump from a uh, a heady sci-fi sequel to a masterpiece which is blade runner um, yes. to you know the found footage houses that october built um there's a sequel to that i think i'd like to check it out yeah, I would too. Okay, Chelsea, what's your coming soon? My coming soon is, oh my gosh, there's so many. Well, I mean, tomorrow is October 13th, which I know this has been my coming soon before, but October 13th is the day that Mindhunter will be on Netflix. And I am so excited. But not only that, October 13th is the day that the Amazon series for Lore is premiering. So I'm really excited about both of those yesterday the new season of Riverdale started so I'm gonna steal away 40 minutes to watch that while David's distracted <laughs> because that's that's more my thing and I won't be watching any of that for the next two days because we're going to DweebCon we're gonna hang out with the History Dweebs podcasters and podcast fans they're a local podcast in Cincinnati and they're having a really cool event so yeah we're, we're super excited about that so all of those things are my coming soon <laughs> What's your coming soon, David? Mine is also, well, I guess, by default, all those. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, except for Riverdale. I uh, won't make you watch that. I liked Riverdale. I, I enjoyed it. I liked watching season one while I was working on stuff. I guess my coming soon is coming real soon because we're probably going to watch it after this recording is um, Amityville The Awakening, which is the Blumhouse Amityville movie that has been sitting on the shelf for years and years and years and years, I think almost three years at this point. I don't know if it's necessarily an indicator of the quality, but oftentimes that can be the case. But Cabin yeah. in the Woods was on the shelf for years and years and years too. So we know yeah, how that Yeah, you think out. it's going to be as good as Cabin in the Woods? No, no, I'm not <laughs> saying that. But um, the synopsis for this is in Amityville, The Awakening. Belle and her family move into a new house, but when strange phenomena begin to occur in the house, Belle begins to suspect her mother isn't telling her everything. She soon realizes that they just moved into the infamous Amityville house. Ooh. We'll definitely watch it. I might need another yammy yammy to get through <laughs> it. We'll see. I don't think there are anymore. No. Um, so this has Jennifer Jason Lee, Bella Thorne, Cameron Monaghan, Thomas Mann, Jennifer Morrison, and Kurtwood Smith. So I'm going to check that out. It's free on Google free? Play. Yes. <gasps> legally. Legitimately from. Legally I believe, free. Yes. October 12th for. It's like a two week period. So you need to go to the Google Play movie store and sign into your Gmail account and add it to your list. It's like there's like a free button. Click on that. And you will then own the new Amityville horror movie. Yeah. So if it's bad, it costs you nothing except a little, a little some typing. And two hours of your life, you can never get back. No, uh, 87 minutes of your life. Wow. Oh, that's not so bad then. <laughs> yeah. Plus the minute to find it. So probably like 90 minutes. Yeah. All right. So that's it for this episode. Yes. I did want to Ooh, yeah. announce that 
our giveaway is now live. So last episode, I mentioned that we got a few extra goodies from the Museum of Death in New Orleans. You can have those goodies. <laughs> so, so you can enter either on Instagram or on Facebook by just tagging a friend in the comments that you think might like our show. That helps more than you can imagine. You know, our big way to reach people right now is really just word of mouth but if you really want those rewards and it includes an unopened pack of true crime trading cards which oh you guys are so lucky i didn't open it and keep it for myself (laughs) but uh if you really want it you can get five bonus entries by leaving us a review so just shoot us a message with your name and let us know you're the one that left the review so you can get six entries total by tagging a friend and reviewing good luck We already have a couple entries from today. I just posted it today. And yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to end on October 31st. But if you get those cards, you better open them and tell us which ones you got. Because I'm very curious. Yeah, you got to post that stuff on social media. Oh, yeah. Which, um, well, I guess you can find us on Instagram at Based on a True Crime. You can find us on the Twitter. Tweet at us at True Crime Based. Check out our Facebook page at Based on a True Crime Podcast. We're easy to find there. Also, um, our website is Based on a True Crime. You can find us on Stitcher and Google Play Podcasts. Pretty much everywhere. If you want to email us, send us an email. Based on a True Crime at gmail.com. You can find me at Lab Creature on every social media imaginable. Chat with Chelsea on Based on a True yeah, Crime. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the Based on a True Crime one. So if you want to reach me, go there. I'm not really active elsewhere on social media so but i'd love to chat with you so please do reach out if you have a movie related question i always refer those to david so and keep an eye out for our episode on halloween horror movies we'll be sharing the lists of our top picks which we already need to now add add that other one on what's it called again ghost watch yes we need to add ghost watch that so that's now it it would probably have been an honorable mention for me anyway but just surprisingly scary yeah yeah it's great um all right well i mean i just can't forget death is but a door and time is but a window (laughs) we'll be back When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.